0: All right, this is Gary Carrick from CBS Sports.com. Again, it's now Wednesday, February 18th, and this is, of course, the I Own College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined today by my buddy Jason Horowitz, who does work for Westwood One, for CBS Sports Network, is among the hosts of Inside College Basketball and Sirius Sim. Might actually have more different jobs than I have. Do you? I think that might be true. You might be the one person I talk to who actually has, wears... Uh, As many hats as I wear, does it stress you out as much as it stresses me out sometimes?
1: No, I'd actually like to wear more. In fact, this (laughs) is a down year. So, uh, (laughs) you know, I don't know how you feel because your hats are uh, like CBS Sports Network and cbsports.com are in the same hat. They're just different umbrellas. Sure. <laughs> or they're the same umbrella. They're just different They're just different pockets. Right. I'd actually like to have one umbrella in many pockets as right. opposed to like four different umbrellas. But oh. it's okay.
0: Hey, cool. Well, listen, um, I mentioned you host um, Inside College Basketball on SiriusXM. It's a, it, you know, for those who haven't listened to it, shame on you. But it is a, uh, it's a radio show, a national radio show dedicated to college basketball. And I'm just curious, how much of your time is devoted on that show to Kentucky and its quest to be undefeated. Um, do you guys spend uh, an, an inordinate amount of time talking Kentucky? Or is it clear to you that Kentucky is the biggest story in the country?
1: Well, but, you know, the funny thing is is that they seem to be the biggest conversation every year on that channel anyway, just sure. because you got to remember, um, it is a national radio show, uh, but when it comes to college basketball, just like Alabama is with college football, uh, Kentucky is a lightning rod, and so... It, it, you know, last year when they were struggling and there was, you know, at this time last year, the conversation, would they make the tournament? That that was a large story. Uh, two years ago, when it, when they were uh, clearly a team that was, uh, you know, uh, going to gonna be the NIT, that was a story. Three years ago when they were, you know, a team that had the chance to win the national championship, that was. the So there's always a story to make with Kentucky. Uh, this just happens to be a, an historical one um but i you know like today we'll we'll be talking about them off, off of another win and uh, a second uh, a second half and a and a dominant end of the end of the game but i you know like i mean Garrett, like their their story isn't any different right now than it was 4 weeks ago it's just that they're closer to being undefeated i mean the the only thing at least i, I don't know how you feel but like the, the only thing i feel is that they're just um Getting better, they're getting closer games, and they're figuring out ways to win close games as opposed to holding people to seven points and a half. I just, I don't think their story is any different, and I and I don't think until they lose that their story is really, um, you know, as as in, as compelling as some of the other teams. I know, but like the, I, I mean, yeah, what's your take on
0: that? the problem for them? To the extent that there's a problem with being twenty six and zero and and ranked number one in the country from you know from opening tip till now, um, is that. They aren't challenged in their – I know they are challenged in their league. Like, they were in a tight – you know, like a four-point game in the second half against Tennessee last night. Um, they've been to double overtime with A&M. They've been to overtime with Ole Miss. They've been down in the second half to Florida LSU. I get that they're challenged. But on paper, like, I think a lot of, of sports is the buildup to the game. Like, the, the anticipation of this moment, whether it's um, – you know, Notre Dame returning to Duke, or Duke going to Virginia, or, you know, in a couple of weeks we're going to have, uh, not this Saturday, but the next Saturday, we're going to have Arizona at Utah, we're going to have Northern Iowa at Wichita State, these games that you can sort of uh, circle, if for you know, so to speak, on a calendar, where, as with Kentucky, because the, S- the, the SEC is relative to other leagues, other power, um, they don't have a challenger, there's not... And I feel a little bit like this with Wisconsin as well. Like, what games do you circle? What games do we get excited about? And so it doesn't mean that um, they can't end up in a close game, but there's nothing to, like, really look forward to until we get to the NCAA tournament. So I'm with you. The story hasn't changed to the extent of the stuff I'm saying about them or most people are saying about them. It's just that with every win, they get a little bit closer to, yeah, but to like what even, is history. Yeah,
1: so, so, but take that even farther. like one step beyond that which is even when we get to the NCAA tournament let's let's assume Kentucky's undefeated going into the tournament sure. okay like the conversation that people have is that well it it'll, it'll be great for college basketball if they're going undefeated that doesn't matter for the tournament the game, the tournament's going to draw the eyes and the ratings and all that stuff whether they're on or not the the, the thing about that is like at what point would they not be a double digit favorite like if they're a one seed okay so just just for instance on, on on your site, uh Jerry Palm in the bracketology, take any eight or nine seed that they would play uh in the in the on the second game on that weekend. Um Double Digit favorite they, for they sure. Be, yeah, they wouldn't be a twenty-point favorite against Dayton or Temple. They wouldn't be a, a fifteen-point favorite against Ohio State or Texas. I mean, those are just guys that uh, teams that Jerry has today as eight or nines. I mean, and then take it even beyond that. Like a four seed. Let's say they got to a four seed in the in the in the sweet sixteen. Butler or or uh, uh, Utah or, I mean, Oklahoma. I mean, they'd be huge favorites. So they're, they're going to be – I think no matter what happens, they're going to be a double-digit favorite all the way to the Final Four, and they might be a double-digit favorite in the Final Four. So what that means is that it, it's, <laughs> if they do lose in the tournament and they don't get undefeated if they're there at that point – It'll be one of the largest upsets in college basketball history, which then becomes really compelling. (laughs) Right.
0: No, I'm I'm all for chasing history. Like, I would prefer them to enter the tournament undefeated. I I get your larger point, which is, hey, the tournament's the tournament, and people are going to watch it no matter what. But I sort of like the idea of, of you know, I'm a big, like, I watched, I enjoyed watching Barry Bonds, uh, you know, try to smash McGuire's record, or... You know, whatever these things are. Like, I enjoy trying to watch history. Like, I enjoy Floyd Mayweather because I, I like the idea of, of perfection. and Well, so, that's,
1: that's just because you like Vegas.
0: <laughs> I, do, I do. I enjoy. I have – I've had pleasant times in Vegas. Unpleasant times as well, but fun times. Even the unpleasant times are typically fun. They're just uh, regrettable the next day. <laughs> uh, but um, – you no, know, I, so I like excellence. I guess that's what I would say. I'm not the, the sports fan who roots for the underdog all the time. I mean, I enjoy that. But I, I prefer excellence, like witnessing excellence. And so for the same reasons I enjoyed Barry Bonds and Floyd Mayweather, uh, I actually like the idea of Kentucky being undefeated. And uh, I, I think you're exactly right about the tournament there. You know, when are they going to be even a single-digit favorite? Like maybe the elite eight, maybe the elite eight, but but probably maybe.
1: yeah, maybe just maybe. Well, but but here's the problem with that. Like, and this doesn't mean that it happens now, right? I mean, because you know Vegas is 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 you know they want to draw a betting lines, so this isn't necessarily what reality is. But the 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 two like the teams that they have beaten this year and beaten badly. I mean, they held Kansas to 12 points and a half. I was there. Kansas is, a, you know, Arizona's really good defensively, but, you know, Arizona struggles to score a time. I don't know. Like, you know, if they met Wisconsin or Villanova, maybe they'd be a single-digit team. And by the way, I think those two teams could give them a really good game. Sure. I actually really do believe that. Um, but uh, listen, if, if, if LSU could have them down and, and really – but we could all go back and say they probably should have won that game. Sure. Um, then, then you can find those top ten teams that you say that yeah they could probably be Kentucky too, but it, they're not going to be playing on their home floor. It's you know it's a big difference.
0: Right. No. I let me be clear. I think they're the best team in the country. I don't think they're unbeatable. Like I could envision a scenario where you know Kevin Pangos bangs home seven three pointers and Gonzaga catches them in the final four or. Um, uh, you know, d- you know, Jalu Okafor is terrific, and Quinn Cook and Tyus Jones combine for eight three-pointers, and Duke beats them in a Final Four. I won't predict them to lose to anybody, but there are certainly scenarios under which um, they lose. The things that make them, and I, uh, this isn't a unique opinion, but to me, after watching them again last night, the thing that makes them, um, again, not unbeatable, but, but uh, unlikely to lose, I, I do think at this point, if I were, uh, you know, if somebody asks for a yeah. prediction, I think they're going to finish undefeated. I think they're going to win the whole thing undefeated. But the, the thing that makes it a, a, a reasonable thing to suggest, a couple things. One, they're so good defensively, so it's it's hard for you to score on them. Really, the only way you're going to get wild on them is if you're, you're just banging home shots from the perimeter. Like if you just you go out and knock down 12 three-pointers. Because you know, if you want to get open looks from, from 23 feet, you can get open looks from 23 feet. It's a little more difficult against Kentucky to get them from three feet. So they're so good defensively that – the only way you're going to really put them in a position where they have to go outscore you is if you're, you know, you're doing 11, 12, three-pointers in a game. Beyond that, and to me, this is the one that's that's more interesting. You know, if you look at other basketball teams around the country, you take their best guy, first off, you can identify who their best two players are. Like, I could, I could ask you, okay, who's Wisconsin's best two players? You'd go boom, boom. I, who's Duke's best two players? Boom, boom. Who's... Uh, Gonzaga's best two players. You got him, got him. Who's Kentucky's best two players? Do we even know? Not a clue. Right. I mean, (laughs) listen, I I think Willie Colley-Stein is is maybe their most valuable because of what he does on both ends of the court. Uh, I think uh, Devin Booker is, is maybe their best scorer. Carl Towns is their best pro prospect. Tyler Eulis, I think is the best spark plug type thing. Aaron Harrison was the preseason SEC player of the year. My point is it's very difficult to identify who their actually best player
1: is. You know this you know the scary thing about the, all that too like as you're running down the roster there, okay? Um, it's it's realistic to believe that of those 10 guys that, that they you know that they're rotating between, that six of them are going to be back next year. Oh, yeah. And, I, they'll have, and then they'll have a brand new rotation. <laughs> like, oh, if, you know, five or six come back.
0: Yeah. I, it, no, it's it certainly. Listen, I was surprised that some of the guys that came back last year came back. I, my guess is after a season like this, if it goes. It'll be one of those deals where, hey, we've done everything we can do. Let's just bounce. You know, I think I think the Harrisons would just bounce, and certainly Carl Anthony Towns would bounce. Willie would almost certainly bounce. I think the next year's Kentucky team will look vastly different. But, yeah, the the thing is, how many, like, guaranteed lottery picks of these guys are there? Maybe two, right? Uh, Willie and Carl Anthony Towns. I, I guess Trey Lyles could theoretically get up there. Devin Booker could get up there. But, um, yeah, it's not like they've got... You know, Anthony Davis going one, Michael K. Gilchrist going two, or John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. I don't think they have two top five picks on this team. Uh, Here was the point I was trying to make though. Um, If you take Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker and they have bad games, Wisconsin's in trouble. I think, you know, if you take Tyus Jones and Jalo Okafor and they have bad games, Duke's in trouble. You take Pangos and Wiltshire and they have bad games, Gonzaga's in trouble. With Kentucky, you could take. I really do believe you could. This would be a fun little game. Let S, the SC, opposing SEC coach five minutes before tip of every game going forward say, "Okay, ruled ineligible." Willie colley Stein and Devin Booker. You, the opposing coach gets to pick two Kentucky players that he that he wants to <laughs> eliminate from the game, and I think Kentucky would still be favored and still win the game. In other words, it doesn't really matter. For instance, how about this last night? Aaron Harrison, preseason SEC Player of the Year. Um. Uh, and the, okay, so it was him, Willie Colley, no, okay, Carl Anthony Towns, best pro prospect, and Dakari Johnson, who has started for a team that played for the national title. Three very important players. I think they combined for five points, and it didn't matter. They still won a road game by 18. Like that, when you've got three guys like that, the preseason SEC player of the year, your best pro prospect and another dude who started for you know base you know, has started somewhat for the past 2 years and they combined for 5 points and you still win by 18 on the road against a team that has beaten nationally ranked butler in that same building that that suggests that you're you're operating with a a unique uh, gift of of talented individuals
1: yeah well and you know i mean just go back to the florida game for a sec i mean they only had four guys score Period. Right. <laughs> he, he, that was it. Four guys scored. Well, I guess Andrew Harrison hit a free throw at the end, so he had you know he had a point. But like, when does that happen in a game for a good team? You have four guys score. No. Uh, it it doesn't. But I, I I guess the overall part to this is that yeah, I mean there there's a lot of fun things you could do and a lot of stuff to it. But you know the other part about Kentucky, like this is the part that I find interesting about Kentucky this year, uh, which is they're not hateable kids. No. Like, you know, I think every everyone loves to hate—loves Kentucky or hates Kentucky. And it usually starts at the top with Cal. And maybe even before that, it starts with the fact that it's just Kentucky. And, you know, people love to hate uh, history. Sure. And so, you know, and, and things like that. And then there's reasons that people love to hate Cal and all those things. And I and I get that part of it. But, like, in terms of just this team, there's, there's like, they're fun. Yeah. They're and, not, there's nothing to really hate yeah. about these kids.
0: No, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, everyone, you know, particularly in my— Line of work, you you sometimes hear, yeah, like so and so the good player, but he's kind of a you know kind of a bad kid or kind of a rough kid or kind of a you know what yeah. there really is none of that at Kentucky. I I think the Harrisons you know developed a bit of a reputation because of body language stuff, but nobody will tell you they're bad kids. I mean, they, they'll tell you that uh, you know it might not like them as basketball players or NBA prospects might not like uh, the way their father can be a little uh, you know. The, their father's a character and, troublesome yeah yeah it, and, and so that in the way yeah, yeah it could sometimes be in the way and like so you might hear that but you don't hear really like you know Aaron Harrison's a bad like DeMarcus Cousins when he was at Kentucky like He's I don't a care bat, yeah I got it not, not a criminal I'm not calling him a criminal but just a, a jerk all right and volatile and um and still is frankly and I don't care what Kentucky fans say like you talk to anybody I don't want to say anybody but talk to some people <laughs> who worked with DeMarcus when he was in high school, who worked with DeMarcus even when he was at Kentucky, and who worked in that Sacramento Kings organization. He he ain't fun-loving DeMarcus Cousins that everybody, that, that not everybody, that some people like to paint him as. Like, so I could tell you negative stories about DeMarcus Cousins. Um, it, it, again, not he ain't, he ain't going to rob a bank. But I'm just saying he's not the most pleasant human being on, on the planet, or even in the top million probably but um but like with this roster this particular one, like Willie colleague Stein is a smart thoughtful you know d- like d- decent dude best I can tell and that really um trickles on down the the thing so I know there's always going to be an anti-kentucky thing like you said and you're there's always certainly undeniably going to be an anti calipari thing but I don't think it, you know I don't think I mean you could find many things wrong with the actual makeup the roster it seems like a um, a pretty a pretty cool group of kids. And beyond that, guys who have completely bought into the team concept. Like Carl Anthony Towns isn't gonna to be a first team All American. He's, he's not he might
1: not even be first team all SEC. Yeah, well, Yeah, he probably be first team yeah but Like
0: the stat like Bobby Portis might end up winning SEC Player of the Year. Uh, because the Kentucky kids aren't gonna have the numbers because they're not playing the minutes, because they they're all buying into this sort of, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I hesitate to call it a platoon, but that's what everybody else calls it, so we'll just call it the platoon. Not all, not all elite level kids would buy in the way that these kids seemingly have bought in, and I, I think that's uh, impressive and probably something that that's not highlighted enough. Cal's done a tremendous job with the roster, uh, but some of the job he's done with the roster is rooted in um, these aren't bad kids and these aren't rough kids. It's a mostly uh, compelling uh, group of college basketball players. Alright, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Were you okay with uh, Sterling Gibbs, two-game suspension after what happened on Monday night. Two-game suspension, okay with you?
1: Yeah, I didn't have an issue with it. I, I, uh, you know, if they would have gone one game, I would have been fine. The yeah. two game is fine. I'm glad. You know what's nice about it is that the university didn't wait. Right. Like, and, and and I don't know that most places would do that. Now, maybe they're saying maybe this for them is a way for them to say, you know what? Uh, it's it, it's an opening for us to make a change at the top, and this is a way for us to do that. and So the university could be saying that, but. Um, he's a representative of the university and on, and on Monday night, uh, in any college basketball week, there aren't that many games on. And so when that happens, that becomes a, if it were a Wednesday, that probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal as it is on a Monday in terms of everybody seeing it. But because it's a Monday, uh, it became a much bigger deal. And, and you know, the other thing too, is that, like that's just frustrating ridiculous in, in what it was sure but and, and by the way sterling Gibbs handled it afterwards as best he could like he immediately yeah. afterwards he didn't wait till the next day to apologize he you know he 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 addressed it immediately um which you know people could still attack him for what he did on the floor but in terms of how he handled it afterwards he owned up to it he didn't make excuses and, and that was great um and so now he'll suffer the two-game suspension and 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 and, and seton hall is probably going to lose two games and and they're out of the tournament, and we'll see what happens with Kevin Willard. But um, no, yeah, I, I was fine with it. I, I was fine with. <laughs> I was fine with everything that happened after the forearm to the face. I was all good.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I, was impressed. Like Sterling Gibbs didn't even try to defend himself. Honestly, as as much as maybe I tried to defend him, right? And and I never tried to defend him. Like he was wrong. That was clear. Uh, my only, um, I guess, point of contention would be, after watching the video from multiple angles, I'm, not, I'm, I'm certain he balled up a fist and he swung his arm violently and that you should be punished for that regardless of your intent. The only thing I try, and I can't even understand why people are still arguing with me about this, I'm not sure he was trying to hit Ryan Archie Diakono in the head. I know that he did. But I'm not sure that was his intent. Now, we could be splitting hairs here. Yeah. You could argue, hey, Gary, who cares? Whether he was trying to hit him in the head or hit him in the chest, he still um, attacked him, for lack of a better phrase. Well, let and, me ask you something. Yeah. What's
1: worse, if he tries to hit him in the groin or if he tries to hit him in the head? Right, yeah, yeah.
0: Again, we could be splitting hairs here. But that was <laughs> – it, it Got it. gets lost a little bit. Like I, I didn't say he wasn't – It. he wasn't intentionally – he didn't intentionally strike him. I said he, I'm not sure he intentionally struck him in the head. And so when it was getting framed that way, Sterling Gibbs just intentionally punched Ryan Archidiakono in the head. I didn't say he didn't intentionally try to punch him. Like, I see that, you know, after watching it a hundred times. I'm just not sure he intentionally tried to hit him in the head. Again, maybe it doesn't matter at all. Maybe it's all the worst thing in the world. But I did think some of the -the over-the-top immediate reaction, expel him from Seton Hall. Let's... Give him the lethal, like, come on, man. Like, how about this? Let's think about it. Sometimes with Twitter, and I'm not even talking about just crazy fans, like sometimes it's media members as well, people who uh, should be a little more responsible, I I think. Um, Expel him from Seton Hall, kick him out of school forever, kick him, ban him from, you know, basketball for the next 20 years. Uh, Like, how about this? Let's let the game get over with. Can we maybe think yeah. let's let's well, you, let's let's let the game go it's
1: funny you, we could turn this we could turn this into a into a into a podcast about Twitter and you and I'll sound uh. like we're part of this American life. I know, right? Uh which no, you know I, and, I, and and we can get into that referendum. But no, it, it's that that's but that's what Twitter I is. Know. Nobody stops to think. And 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 guess what? That kind of carries itself over to 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 our daily routine, about how how people handle themselves, they don't stop to think. It's the immediate response. It's the immediate gratification, and and and, and, and it's what it, does everybody care about what I say? And that's what it is. Um, but with with that being said, I still am with you that it, it okay. Even if he didn't mean to hit him in the head, and he was aiming for somewhere else. It just doesn't matter. Right, I mean, the kid was- lost his cool. The team had, and, and you know what? This is more of a, probably a, an overriding thought about C. the hall as a basketball program. They've lost their cool completely. Sure. Um, from the reports about what's going on in the locker room, the reports about what's going on with Isaiah Whitehead and, and the group that surrounds him, um, Jaron Cena quitting the team, um, all, all those other things. This is a team that was 19th in the country. They had beaten Villanova. They were 12 and two. They had won a, non- uh, a non-conference tournament. Um, they had a couple of good wins. They beat Georgia, which, you know, last couple of days have really hurt that part, but like they had really done some good things and they have not been able to handle whatever it is that's bothering them as a group. And I think honestly, and, and I like Kevin Willard a lot and I, and I really think he's done a pretty good job in what is a tough, tough place to win. I don't think he gets out past this year.
0: Yeah, well, that I mean, it is. I did think the the Gibbs moment was, on some level, like you pointed out, symbolic of what's happening at Seton Hall. Like this is a this is an individual losing his cool, falling apart in the moment, and uh, to a larger degree, that the entire basketball program seems to be losing its cool and falling apart. You know, as this season uh, progresses, it also reminds me a little bit of the way the Bobby Gonzalez era ended. You know, with her Pope, you know, cheap shotting, you know, a, an opposing player. And it just sort of un, uh, unraveling on Bobby uh, down the stretch to the extent that it it, it cost him uh, his job. Kevin is now quite clearly up against a lot of uh, the same stuff. But yeah, my sort of a uh, lasting thought for Monday night was let's just let's just how about how about we let's take twenty can we at least take twenty minutes and think about it for a minute. Think about whether you really want to ban Sterling Gibbs from basketball forever. Based on this moment, like maybe we should think about it for a minute, hear what he has to say, see if there any other angles emerge. And then uh, almost from the moment the game was over, that um, I was about to call him a kid. He's not a kid. He's a young adult. Uh, but uh, the <laughs> college student, um, I, I thought he handled it remarkably well. And no, simply apologizing and taking responsibility doesn't mean that what happened didn't happen. Like what happened happened. But once what happened happens... Uh, you can handle it in a variety of ways. People mishandle apologies all the time. Alex Rodriguez comes to mind. Uh, but I thought he, he he properly handled that apology. And then the only thing more impressive was the way um, Ryan um accepted the apology in a very public way. Hey, a heave-the-moment thing. We're all good. And I just thought that in what was a, a pretty, on some level, embarrassing moment for Twitter uh, with, uh, you know, uh, literally thousands of people i mean he was trending on twitter uh, all over this country yeah. reacting immaturely and on some level irrationally here we had two college guys the two guys who were actually involved in the incident seemingly handling it more maturely than all of the adults who who were um you know uh, tweeting as as quickly and uh, as aggressively as they could i just thought if there's a way to take an ugly basketball moment, college basketball moment, and turn it into sort of a neat moment with the way uh, Sterling and Ryan handled it um, post-game, I-, I thought maybe this is an example. Ugly, ugly, unnecessary, and reckless moment that deserved punishment. Two games seems about right to me. Uh, but I thought both of those guys um, handled themselves well uh, after uh, the fact, as well as you possibly could. I want to ask you about Gonzaga. Uh, they're 26-1. and uh, lone loss at Arizona in overtime in a game that they will probably would have won at the end of regulation if a uh, you know a very clear foul against Arizona would have been called. Whatever, that's basketball. Happens all the time. Let's so let's just keep it simple. Twenty six and one lone loss in overtime at Arizona. They only have four top fifty wins. Now you know that you know the reason for that as well as I do. They play in the West Coast Conference. There's only so many you can get. Um, all you can do when you play in a league like that. And this was the case with Memphis and Conference USA for years. Uh, you schedule as aggressively as you can, and then you hope for the best. Uh, Gonzaga has consistently, over the years, scheduled as aggressively as they, as they could. They played Memphis a few weeks ago. The problem is, most years that Memphis wins a good win for you, this year it doesn't matter at all. Every other contender for number one C is going to have at least twice as many top 50 wins. So I'm curious, how do you think this should be evaluated? On one hand, we talk about resumes all the time. Well, a resume with you know, 10 top 50 wins is, is on, on the surface more impressive than a resume with four top 50 wins. On the other hand, to penalize Gonzaga for that is to, is to penalize them strictly because of their league affiliation, which they can't do anything about. How do you balance all of this stuff?
1: I, I think two things come to mind. First of all, I, it didn't seem like this year was as as aggressive as years past. Like, and again, this is not their fault. But Gonzaga is always in one of those, or you know, whatever the rule is in terms of how many uh, how many years you can be in one of those uh, tournaments where you're getting two or three really good games. They were in the NIT season tip off, um, so yeah they played st john's who's going to be a borderline tournament team georgia who knows if they're going to end up being a tournament team so they played those two teams um and they played smu which is a good game and then you scheduled arizona and ucla but like and you mentioned memphis so that's like six games against top quality opponents but they're not like the normal top quality opponents remember the year the year that they were a one seed two years ago they owned the big 12 they were like six and oh against the big 12 right (laughs) so so like that was a way to judge it comparatively to other teams who were going for one seeds because they were in the Big Twelve. So, I, I I'm with you in that you can't penalize them. Here's here's the thing is that we always look at numbers because they're tangible. Um, we can quantify numbers. You can figure out okay, well this team's got ten, this team's got four, this team's got twelve, this team's got five. Um, but the other thing that that you can also quantify is Gonzaga's got one loss like this wouldn't even be a conversation, Gary, if, if they didn't lose that game in overtime sure. to Arizona. And by the way, if anyone who watched that game and I think the committee members, when they're going to have this conversation, will go back and look at it. Um, they'll remember that foul play at the end. I, I'm totally with you on that. So, uh, you know, the the aspect of Gonzaga is the same as it was for Wichita State last year, which is if they run the table here, they finish the West Coast Conference undefeated. They're, again, the West Coast Conference tournament champs—they're going to be a one seed. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's just how we view them, how good they actually are, and the fact that they might not even have had that one loss period, uh, the same way that Wichita State last year entered entered undefeated. So, um, but in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of Gonzaga this year, there are—and I don't know how you feel about this—but like two years ago they were a one seed, and I thought a deserved one seed. Sure, they're better this year. Yes. Like you talked about Pangos and and uh, Wiltshire if they have bad games, that's true. But like Karnowski and Sabonis are legitimate, legitimate post players who can go for twenty. And Sabonis, they both pass the ball out of the post so well. Pangos is a, is as good of a now he's small obviously, so that's a problem. But he's as good of a college point guard as you could ask for. They have three other guys who could get you double digits on top of that, plus Wiltshire. I mean, so, yeah, they have two guys that if they, if they aren't going well, uh, they might be in trouble, but they have four or five other guys who could hit for big numbers in that same game that the other two guys are struggling. The, 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 the inside-outside game that they have is as good as anybody in the country, and, and the thing about Gonzaga this year that, that I like even more is that um, I think they're – now, they struggle sometimes on the, on, the, on the glass – uh, which is strange considering how big some of their guys are. But I think uh, the way that they actually play offense this year is so much better than it was two years ago because they have so many more options. Well, they have shooters. I mean, I, I just I love the makeup of the team. They've got
0: uh, multiple ball handlers on the court basically at all times. They've got uh, a slasher on the wing in Wesley. They've got um, shooters on the court at all times, whether it's, uh uh Pangos, Wiltshire, so on and so forth. They've got uh, you know a true big big in Karnowski. They've got uh Sabonis who is a future pro. I mean they yeah. just, they check a lot of boxes, man, that you you know that that you know they they're not gonna be able to match you know probably Duke or Kentucky for NBA players. But in terms of assembling a college basketball team, like but, they yeah, it's it's really you know nice to assemble.
1: Was, oh. You know what the problem, though, is, and this is, this is again, this is just our own mental state and our mental thought, and 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 it's, you know, I know the committee's supposed to look at this differently every year and in make in a unique way every year, but I think the problem that we're going to have with Gonzaga is that um, you haven't shown it to us lately. Like, they haven't gotten out of the first weekend. I think 2009 is the last time they made a Sweet 16, and that has nothing to do with these kids. Well, it has something to do with some of these kids, but, like, it has nothing to do with this group and this team because um, it's a different team than sure. the ones from the last 5 years but just as a program uh, i wonder if some people are going to zag it out is yeah. that? oh you know, I, you, 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 I, yeah. I i can tell i i like from.
0: You know, I wrote a column very early on about, you know, this is, I believe, Mark view's best team. And, you know, if the idea that people point out that he's never been to a Final Four, um, you know, like it doesn't matter to me nearly as much as it matters. The idea that they've never been to a Final Four doesn't mean they can't get to one. It just sometimes is just, you know, it's a single elimination tournament. Weird things happen. They've had final, They've had teams that are good enough to get to the Final Four. The Adam Morrison team was good enough. Um, the 1-seed team a couple years ago was good enough. People forget, like, didn't they lose to Wichita State? They lost to Wichita who State, hit, right? Who, okay. hit,
1: who hit 12-3.
0: Exactly my point. Okay, so, like, Wichita State shot the ball out of their minds in a 40 minutes game of a single elimination tournament. And so th- that means you weren't Final Four good? No, it just means that you played a team in the tournament who hit 12 three-pointers on you. Guess what? If Kentucky plays a team in the round of 32 that hits 12 three-pointers against them this year, they might get caught too. And so that's just... That's just the nature of that tournament and and I, I, immediately all of the there was so much anti Gonzaga stuff like oh you say this every year oh people say this every year and and then they lose in the round of thirty two so some of what you're talking about is absolutely there. I would say this um obviously you know the way the committee's supposed to work that none of that's supposed to matter like the, the history is not supposed to matter even a little on the other hand, this is what I always try to remind people um the people in the room they're humans you know they're humans with memories and and you'd be silly to think that that doesn't influence them e- either have, have you done
1: have you done the mock committee before i've never actually been never so actually so, been. so sign up so listen you got to do this i'm doing, i've already talked to david warlock i can't uh, do it I, what if you can't do it you got to do it i'm doing it next year you and I'll hang out for two days. I would love to do that, though. Yeah, I would love we'll to hang, hang in out in Indianapolis. We'll have we'll go to Saint Elmos, and uh, or, or or you know, or maybe we'll just hit up uh, Steak and Shake, whatever you want. I like a both. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and we'll uh, we'll do it. I'm doing it next year. And here's the reason why. The reason why is that we, this exact conversation that we're having right now, which is that, um, well, first of all, as, as the host of the tournament on, on Westwood One, it's probably a good idea to have an idea of where they're where those people are coming from. Sure. But the other part is. I'm just interested to see what they're actually looking at. Now, everybody who's ever come out of it says it's very interesting and very helpful. Um, But but the aspect of how hard is it to put aside your preconceived thought of a team and then what other people are thinking about them uh, and compare it. I think that is the 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 interesting part of what that mock committee does. And I think it's it's a good it's a good learning tool.
0: Well, certainly it's a good learning tool. I think I have a pretty good grasp of how it goes on. Um, and, and uh, But I do love shake and Shake and St. Elmo's, and uh, so I, I could be influenced by that. Uh, I guess... It's, it's, it's highly data driven. Like, uh, you know, a lot of it is, it's like you have numbers and, and data in front of you, but still you're human. You're, you you know, and biases come in, whether you even know they do or, or, or whether, whether intentional or unintentional it, and almost uh, certainly always unintentional, but they're still there. Right. And well, but so- that,
1: but that then gets to the same question. I mean, this doesn't even have to just be about the one seed or about Gonzaga. I mean, this gets into, you know, so the, the, you were talking about, it's very data driven. And we had this conversation on the show yesterday on SiriusXM. What is what what is more important in scheduling? Um, victories uh, against against teams that aren't going to be tournament capable, and not having bad losses, or scheduling or scheduling tournament quality type teams and not beating them. Like and and here's and here's where that came to here's where that came to fruition. We were talking about Texas yesterday, and look, it's not Texas's fault that UConn. Uh, isn't going to be a tournament team like the, You know, that's the, it was the return game. They beat them when they beat them. Whatever at that time, they thought that's going to be a great win. It, it, you know, same thing for everybody that beat Florida this year. It's not just not going to turn out to be a good win. Right. Like Texas has played a lot of teams uh, with with high quality or with with high quality resumes. I looked this they up. Have...
0: I looked this up earlier. Just coincidentally, they've got nine losses now. Eight of them are to schools that are ranked right now. Eight of the nine. The only Great. loss they have to a currently unranked team is to Stanford, and that's still a top 50 RPI loss. So they have, of the nine losses, eight are to teams that are currently ranked, and the one that isn't is still a top 50 loss. In other words, they've got no losses outside of the top 50. Their problem, of course, is they've only got one top 50 win. So they've played all these games; they just hadn't really won any of them. And I, you know, so what do you value? Do you value a, a 25 win team with with uh, with with no like? Here's what I fundamentally believe. I don't think losses to quality teams hurt you. I, I think bad losses hurt you and a lack of good wins hurt you.
1: I don't think losses to good teams hurt you. Exactly. and so but but, but to me, a team that wins is more important. Like I that's like like I'm all I'm all for you on the fact that they don't hurt you. But to me, you gotta beat somebody, right? Some no, way. ultimately,
0: and, and, and honestly, this
1: is a um,
0: this is an interesting conversation because I think sometimes this gets. I've had conversations with committee members about this. First off, they want to see if you even try to schedule people. Like they are impressed by your effort. Like did you even try? So they won't look at Gonzaga and say you didn't try to schedule anybody because Gonzaga will say we tried to schedule Memphis. Memphis is usually good. You know, like we signed that contract two years ago. Memphis has been to. Uh, you know, four straight NCAA tournaments. We thought we were playing an NCAA tournament team. They'll tell us we didn't try, we tried. That matters to the committee. Um, If you don't try, like if you don't try to schedule outside of your league and you want to sit there on Selection Sunday on the bubble, you are up against it. Like I've talked to enough committee members uh, uh, to know that. Also, though, they do want to know that you can beat somebody because the counter argument to what I said about Texas, hey, they don't have any bad losses, fine. But everybody can lose to good teams. Like, everybody can lose to good teams. Who can beat good teams? Show us that you can beat somebody. If we put you in the field, show us that you're good enough to advance. Uh, so just losing to—so uh, this is, uh, again, we may be uh, totally into semantics here. But I don't think losing to good teams hurts you. But if that's all your resume is, hey, we all our losses are to good teams. Well, who did you beat? Because, like, if, if all you can do is, is lose to good teams— that's fine, and beat bad teams, that's fine. But guess what? In the tournament, you're probably not going to play a bad team because you're going to be a 9-seed, 10-seed, 11-seed. So you're playing good teams, and you haven't really beaten any, so what's the point of us putting you in there? Uh, just, just losing to good teams isn't enough. That's, that's a nice part of a resume, but you need to be able to show you can actually beat somebody as well. Otherwise, um, what have you really done except done something that literally anybody could do, which is lose to good teams every time you play them, just because.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, like, and so, like, I know that conversation, and, and this is one that like, you have every, every every year. But like that conversation about uh, uh about uh, you know, bad losses hurt you, and not scheduling anybody hurts you. But like, if you're a team that's scheduled okay, you have a couple of bad losses, but you also have some really good wins. I'd much rather see that team in the tournament than see a team that that uh, that scheduled didn't beat anybody. And doesn't have any good wins. Because you know what? Yeah, you might have lost. Like, for instance, Georgia's got a couple of bad losses now. They're starting to rack up. But they got like four, real, five really good wins. And and you know what? They went and won at Kansas State. And Kansas State, like when you schedule Kansas State, you're scheduling a good team. Right. Um you know stuff like that. So just just one. The other the other one, the the other one like
0: that's Providence. Like Providence has taken some bad losses, but they got some really good wins too. Like I'd rather see LaDante yeah. Hinton, Chris Dunn and a Providence team that has shown they're 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 good enough to beat good teams uh in the tournament even if they've taken some some silly losses they've 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 got some quality wins they've got two players they can carry you providence is the perfect example of somebody who yeah they've taken some sketchy losses but man they've got some good wins and they're capable of advancing i'd like to see them in the field yeah no uh, listen but let's not expand the field (laughs) yeah no i I think we can both agree there no no going past 68 in fact that'd be for going back down to 64 Uh, i will bottom line it like this with gonzaga Um, I I recognize they're not going to have the same number of quality wins as, say, Wisconsin or Duke or whatever. Uh, If they went out, they deserve a one. Like, period, end of story. Uh, I'm not interested in penalizing somebody based on league affiliation. Uh, They will have scheduled aggressively enough, I think. We could debate to what extent, but aggressively enough, and they've done an amazing job, again, if they went out against that schedule. And so if we assume... Kentucky's going to be a one. Virginia's going to be a one, and then I'm saying Gonzaga's got to be one as well. If they went out, and then we only got one spot left for um, one spot left. Period for anybody, and it means that you know a Big Ten champion Wisconsin would have to get pushed to the two line, or a Big Twelve champion Kansas would have to get pushed to the two line, and that is not ideal. I'm not even sure it's fair, uh, but I think it would be uh, more unfair if this makes sense, uh, to take a Gonzaga team that finishes with one loss, an overtime loss at Arizona, and say that's not good enough for a one. I would give Gonzaga the, the third one or the fourth one, whatever, and then let uh, Kansas, Wisconsin, Duke, you know, fight for that fight. Maybe even Utah, frankly. Um, you know, if they were the win the Pac-12 and then win the Pac-12 tournament, I'd let those schools battle it out. But Gonzaga, a one-loss Gonzaga should probably be a one seed. All right, we've kept you here long enough, Jason. I know you've got a million jobs to do, so uh, go do them. I appreciate you being here, buddy. It's good to catch up with you. And I assure you, um, if even if we don't go to the mock selection thing um, – this 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 April, we will be at both St. Elmo and that Steak and Shake. For people who've never been to a Final Four in Indiana, there is nothing more popping at 2 in the morning than that Steak and Shake on the corner in downtown Indy. Best.
1: The it's, best. It's the, the best. The, the, the Oreo is the way to go.
0: If you ever want to see um, a slew of drunk college basketball coaches, Steak and Shake, two thirty in the morning at the Final Four. It is jam uh, packed, and also college basketball writers and, and reporters, and uh, radio people, and television folks as well. I mean,
1: you could have just you could have just left it at people. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> if you ever just want to see drunk people,
0: uh, two thirty in the morning, uh, Steak and Shake during Final Four weekend every single time. All right, subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. your way to get your hands on the latest edition. You know that already. Go do it. And either way, I will talk to you again on a Friday. Take care.